Well, welcome to the ninth episode of Bold Time Religion. Uh, today I'm talking with Lillian Daniel, pastor at First Congregational United Church of Christ in Dubuque since early 2016. Before that, she was at churches in Glen Ellen, Illinois and New Haven, Connecticut. Um, we're in her office. This is a great office. I, I've been here before and I love this office. It's Thank a... <laughs> you. It's full of, like, it's full of the furniture that I grew up with as a I child. See. I see. Because sadly, my parents both died sort of young. Okay. And I was an only child, so all of a sudden, even though I was an adult, I inherited all this furniture. So a lot of this Asian stuff in here is stuff that I grew up with. A lot of memories. Yeah. Uh, after doing some more exhaustive research on your background, um, I'm somewhat intimidated. You're a celebrity compared to the others I've talked with for this series, having written four books and articles for many large publications, and you've been interviewed by many other outlets. So thanks for your time. I'm intimidated that you did exhaustive research. <laughs> <laughs> what did you find? Maybe at the bottom of this whole list I'll tell you some things I found yeah. that you might... But if you run a mugshot, I'll be upset. <laughs> Side view? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm almost finished reading your latest book, Tired of Apologizing for a Church I Don't Belong to. I'm kind of a slow reader, so I know it's not a big book. Uh, what kind of church is that, and what alternative type of church do you try to lead? So the, the book begins with a true story, where I was at Marshall's, I was in line at Marshall's checking out, and I get into a conversation with a Sikh man, and he's wearing a turban, so I can tell that's his religion, and we have this really one of these kind of weird, deep conversations with a stranger because you're standing in line and he tells me a story about how his aunt is, is dying and she lives in London and he wants to know what's the right thing to do. Should he go see her now while she's still alive or should he wait and save his money to go see her after she passes? And, you know, we end up having this really deep, uh, profound conversation, very honest, talking about real-life stuff. And as he gets called to pay... I say, I'm going to pray for you. And he recoils. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell that, like, I've said the wrong thing. And it begins this conversation internally in my mind about um, why would he recoil from that? What experience has he had of people saying, I'll pray for you? Do they mean I'll try to convert you, etc.? cetera? Um, and I also recognize within myself that I have this sort of anxiety, desire to like apologize for every Christian who ever did anything wrong in the world. And we end up having this encounter where I kind of do that in the parking lot. And, you know, I say, I'm sorry about the Inquisition. I'm sorry about the Crusades. I'm sorry about how the Sikh people have been treated, you know. And he laughs and he says, so you're responsible for all that. And it was the beginning of this, this book, which was about why is it that open-minded Christians will almost be in the closet about their faith. And it's because they don't want to be compared to some other type of Christian, right? So that's where the title came from, as I realized I was tired of apologizing for a church I didn't belong to. Yeah. And how do you feel what kind of church you belong to now? Well, in the congregational tradition, the pastor is a member of the church, so okay. this is the church I'm a member of. And I can honestly say, if I weren't the pastor, I would want to be a member of this church. Yeah. It's a wonderful group. Yeah. A great, great mix of people. And I think we, um, we're very much historically grounded in God, in the Christian tradition. Uh, we have this beautiful historic building, liturgy, et cetera, et cetera. But forward-thinking, inclusive, open-minded. And mm -hmm. 
we just celebrate our 180th anniversary. And I learned that that forward thinking goes way back to a commitment to abolition of slavery, for example, Hmm. or ordaining women clergy early on. And, um, and, and now the issue of the day, you know, we'll, we'll perform a gay wedding. I think we were the first church in town to, to do that. So being sort of very much traditional and rooted in the scripture and the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, open to new ways that can be interpreted. Um, yeah, I've been to a couple of your services, and I had heard that it was progressive, that you did um, weddings for gays, and um, I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist, and I come in and I'm like, this service is so traditional. Yeah. I mean, it was from the handouts, the, the paper readings, and the songs, and mm-hmm. and so it, it's an interesting uh, mix, and you have humor in your church, and I didn't, not that I didn't think there would be humor, but... I was um, surprised. I was thinking it would be more preaching of social issues or political things. And maybe you do that sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, I think you have a nice mix, an inviting mix that someone like myself would even feel comfortable. Because um, I came from a church that was more, I thought, a little blatant on their issues, uh-huh. where you felt like, man, I don't know if that I'm welcomed here. So I, I applaud you. Well, we definitely have a mix of people at our church. I say, you know, I love my purple church. Yeah. We've got Democrats, Republicans represented. But I do think probably it's fair to say that on the sort of social issues like gay marriage, um, we would be more in that camp, whether sure. you're Republican or Democrat. And I think, actually, um, so much is changing in the country. I don't even like to use the words liberal or conservative and associate them with churches. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's serving us so poorly in the political realm. Why it doesn't help. Why would we bring it in? Yeah, but I do think that there there is a difference between churches that are open to new revelation, to the idea that we interpret scripture and relate it to the historical context of the day, mm-hmm. that you don't pick out one line from scripture and put on a bumper sticker, right? Um, and that's going to be very much at odds with other churches where they... Uh, they say they take a more literal or fundamentalist interpretation of scripture. Yeah. I would argue it's not very literal, but they claim it is. Sure. Yeah, yeah I've got a few uh, questions here, but that leads me to saying, um, it seems to me that we're almost headed to those stark choices. Yours is a little bit more purple, mm-hmm. but I've, I'm in a search for a church, and I've been to some of them that are both sides, and... Um, the Methodist Church is kind of going through their situation and other, like Lutherans, has broken apart. Do you kind of see it, that there's going to be these splits? Are, are there going to be fewer of your kind of churches where there's more like, i got to go and see, I want to be with the people that I deal with versus mm-hmm. that. Is that? Yeah, I mean, first I reject the idea that there's my kind of church, right? The church belongs to God, Jesus. So I really, I really do try to fly under the banner of Christian. Okay. On a good day, right? Sure. Um, I think denominations come and go. So here's an interesting example. Um, our church is First Congregational Church, and we're 180 years old in Dubuque. We're a member of a wonderful denomination called the United Church of Christ that was only founded in 1957. Mm. So the local church, you know, <coughs> is older, right, than this denomination that was a merger of four different streams. And... Uh, And I think we'll see more of that splitting apart, coming back together. But I do love the history and tradition of the local church. 
you know, I hope that whatever set of initials follows the name First Congregational Church of Dubuque will be here in a hundred years. Yeah. And hopefully will not be the same, mm -hmm. but will be changed and influenced by the people who've come through. Yeah, odds are it'll change in some ways. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think we're going to look at the Methodist, United Methodist Church, uh, ceasing to be united for a while. They may break apart. Um, these are these are things that happen in the life of the church, reformations. I think they're healthy sometimes. The Holy Spirit moves. And I think the, the important thing is to be engaged in the in the tradition. I mean, I do love tradition. Mm -hmm. I, I love history and that kind of thing. But when you study history and tradition in churches, it's not rigid. You know, there's always more light and truth to break forth from God's Word. Yeah. There's many more gray areas out there than I think people admit. Well, Jesus was Jewish, and there is a Jewish tradition of Midrash where you debate the meaning of scriptures. The rabbis would do it, and they would record their debates, you know. And uh, somewhere along the line, I think American Christianity, you know, maybe around the 20s or 1940s, but you start seeing it happen where we, we lose that sense of debate and nuance, and you get into these fundamentals, you know, to be a yeah. Christian, you have to believe these five things, or mm -hmm. these things have to happen. And actually, that's sort of a blip on the radar screen. For most of Christianity's 2,000-year-plus history, there's been a lot more acceptance of mystery and differences of opinion and interpretation of Scripture. Yeah. Um. The idea of a church community seems great to me. I know that's really what you I've, I've read and you've mentioned before. Um, partly because I'm a Christian who believes that Christ died for our sins and that there will some be, someday be a final judgment. But that makes some Christians shudder these days, and maybe it has always. How do you view Jesus, and what are your thoughts on heaven and hell? Okay, you just asked several theological questions in one, in one, so I'm trying to figure out where to jump in there. Um, let's begin with your statement that you value Christian community, and I do too, but then you said you have a belief that there's going to be a judgment day. Yes. So I think there are some churches where <coughs> there is this urgent impetus to go out and recruit people and convert them to Christianity so that once they die and get to heaven, you know, they're going to have the right identity card in their pocket. Sure. Um, I don't believe that. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think there's depth and truth in different religions. And I, uh, so for me, the value of religious community is not um, a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, that's not what it is. And, and I don't think it was ever meant to be fear-based or, because that is fear-based or anxiety-based. some fear-based. Yeah. yeah. Now, I also acknowledge I could be entirely wrong about salvation, and I could get to heaven, and um, Jesus could have words for me, right? I don't know the answer to that, but I feel more confident in accepting the mystery and acknowledging that uh, my job description does not include the judgment of others. I, I find that impossible to believe, and particularly based on how Jesus acted and what he did in his life, mm -hmm. and the fact that he himself was essentially moving from Judaism, and then later his followers formed this different, much more inclusive uh, community around his teachings. I think God is always stirring the pot in different ways. Having said that, I'm not a Unitarian. You know, like in a Unitarian church, you might hear readings from different religious texts and stuff like that. Um, and that, personally, is not for me. 
I think you can be respectful of other religions, but still you get more, more depth and meaning if you go deep into one. So that's why I do enjoy the tradition. You know, I don't just bounce around. Yeah. You can value other traditions, but still want to go deeply into your own in the same way that you could say, I love all different kinds of music, but my primary thing is learning to be a good violinist. Yeah, that's a good, good way to look at it. Yeah. Am I deducing that you don't necessarily believe in heaven and, and hell? I, mean, I Listen, I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay. I've been to neither one. Um, I, I tend to, in the Christian tradition, there are different understandings of heaven and hell. I would say I, I do acknowledge both, and I would fall in that C.S. Lewis understanding of it, where, um, yes, you can end up distanced from God, but in, the, in his theology, or the way it works, and it's a complicated thing to explain, but basically, um, there's not a mean-spirited, judgmental God creating the distance. It's still us creating the distance. Okay. And that sin is distance from God and other people. So... Yes, I believe that Jesus died for our sins, that we have new life through Jesus. But I cannot imagine the Jesus that I follow being up in heaven saying, no, no Jews are allowed. Right? That makes no sense to me. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there are awful things people do that separate them from God and other people, and that I can acknowledge the possibility that what hell is, is that that continues because you've not repented that you know but but I really do believe that God continually wants to repair that breach and that I do believe is sort of unique in in Christian theology is this idea that Jesus says no matter what no matter how hated you are by other people no matter how terrible the thing is that you have done um, you are not written off yeah I love that about that yeah so. And that's different yeah. from some other, you know, it's a different emphasis, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's very meaningful because, you know, like most of humanity, I've screwed up. That's important to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, I bring that up, not necessarily um, where I think that there's going to be some big judgment that, you know, like Jesus said it, how tough it is going to be to get to heaven. And that's why I believe that. I can't earn my way to heaven, so that's why I really believe you know it's impossible for me to do. Yeah, good see, deeds. that's what Jesus says when you look at it. Jesus doesn't say it's going to be really tough to get to heaven. Jesus says it's really tough for you to get yourself to heaven. There, yep. You know, it may be grace-filled and beautiful. Yep. Right. Yeah. But it's not up to our own efforts. Yeah. And so I just can't. I can't in any way reconcile that understanding of Jesus with this other sort of made-up Jesus, I think, who's like, go convert your college roommate, you know. Mm -hmm. I think, okay, it's, it's mysterious and wide, and you don't earn it yourself, so how could you earn <coughs> it for other people? But didn't the disciples go out to try to convert? Yeah, to convert, but they were converting to a way, right? So American religious history in the last century, we have an obsession with belief, as in a an activity that happens in your brain, an intellectual ascent, right? Again, this was the fundamentalist movement of the United States, you know, where he said, you got to believe this, you got to believe that, you know, you got to say the sinner's prayer to be saved. It's not scriptural. I mean, there's nowhere in scripture where Jesus says, 
here's the most important thing. You must believe my mother was a virgin. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not in scripture. Um, there, there are later generations of Christians who are debating this stuff, but this idea that you have to have this intellectual assent, it's sort of a cruel idea because you can't decide to believe something intellectually that you don't believe. It's, it would be as cruel as saying you can only get into heaven if you're in a good mood mm -hmm. and you can't control your mood. Um, this is where I think when you look at how Jesus acts, he says all kinds of crazy things, but usually he's taking the accepted interpretation of a Jewish text and he's turning it upside down to get people to think. So then for us to take this one sentence he said and put it on a bumper sticker, you know, that's not, that's not how he operated. <coughs> I think um, both sides of the issue on Jesus use those because some will use the bumper sticker about caring for the poor and doing, that's your whole goal, mm -hmm. you know, that's what, that was the main emphasis of Jesus. Where others might say, he said I'm the one and I've, they, the truth they, and the light and, and they mm -hmm. and the Pharisees even asked him are you are you the Christ that has been and he said yes mm -hmm. so it seems to me fairly important well so there's a reason we have four gospels next to each other and they're all different yep. so you're quoting there's from the gospel of John that that arose out of a persecuted probably the, the most persecuted of the Christian communities you know they're on this island <coughs> Patmos in Greece they're treated terribly you have a lot of this Neoplatonic dualism imagery of light and dark, you're in or you're out. You know, that, that pervades the Gospel of John, and psychologically speaking, that was a group that was really persecuted for their faith. So you also have in the Gospel of John these references to the Jews, quote-unquote, um, that, are, that are very negative and were later used, to my shame and horror, um, by Christians to persecute the Jews. Yep. But historical context and scholarship is everything. When you step back from that and remember that when, when they talk about the Jews, they're, it's a reality to them that Jesus was Jewish. So when they say, like, the Jews said this and Jesus said this, it's not like the Jews are bad. It's Jesus, who was Jewish, was debating with other Jewish people. That's, you know, that's the context. That's yeah. the stuff that we have to talk about. All of the Gospels, I think, say he rose from the dead. Do you believe that? Yeah, I mean, I... The miracle, you know, the... I do. Like, but, but I think like most people, I have my moments where I think, I don't know, that seems crazy. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then I have my moments where I think the world is full of miracles and mystery and, and who knows. Yeah, if God is God. Mm -hmm. I, I always say that. If God is God, you know, we... I have a later question in here about... We all tend to define... Those of us who believe in God tend to define him in a way that makes us comfortable. And that, yeah. And that can be from broad stretches of the spectrum, you know, the very traditional to the very progressive. And um, so I'll talk about that a little later, but... Well, we do have, we can, you know, we're people with egos, right? Human yep. beings can be selfish yeah. and we want to justify ourselves. So this is why I do love the tradition that's older than I am, that's bigger than I am. Um, because otherwise, if I create God in my own image... You know, I'm just going to create a God who thinks everything I do is wonderful, yep. right? And agrees with me on all points, you know. That's, that's why a tradition is meaningful. But you also have to recognize that traditions have been um, shaped and created by ordinary human beings with their own agendas. Yeah. So, you know, and... there's a sort of like de facto acceptance of slavery that runs through a lot of scripture. Well, today we don't 
agree with that. Yeah. But we can recognize that there was a time in history where that was just the air they breathed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep, very, very accurate. Um, so, if there is no heaven or hell... Well, okay. I'm just not speaking for what you believe, but oh, if, okay. if there is no heaven or hell, why should people uh, such as the atheist and the humanist I have previously interviewed bother with any kind of a church when they can create their own equally loving communities? I mean, who needs God? I mean, mm -hmm. they, they don't need to go to a church to have a community. Um, they, and they say, we don't need that. I mean, yeah. we're good people, and I, I judge myself on how good I am, mm -hmm. sort of creating a, a de facto God, God in themselves. Um, why would they need to, or do you just say, yeah, they don't? Not everybody, not, church isn't for everybody. <laughs> I'd say I'm kind of in the middle on that one. Uh, you know, I, I have friends who are atheists and they spend time in community, right? So, so for me, the, the important piece that you get with a religious tradition is community. If you just walk up and down the beach and see God in the sunset and read Oprah books and, you know, whatever, create God in your own image, that's okay. Like, I mean, it's not destroying the world or anything. Um, but I think when life gets hard, somebody gets cancer, you know, do you really see God in nature? Cancer is nature. I mean, you know, these are sort of the deeper things, sorrows of life, loss, death, all these things. That's where I do think religious community can, can bring thousands of years of people wrestling with these ideas and this text too, right? Mm -hmm. This weird collection of books we call the Bible. I mean, to me, that adds depth and meaning. But I can recognize that an atheist could find that community at an ethical humanism society meeting and they would feed the hungry and visit prisoners and care for the sick. And that, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't presume to tell that person that none of that counts unless it's got a Christian gold star at the top, yeah. you know, or whatever. I think that's obnoxious, and I think Jesus would find that obnoxious. I mean, Jesus was, in his debates with his fellow Jews, always rubbing up against the, the ones who thought they had it figured out, the ones who said, don't sit at that <clears throat> table with them, they're the sinners. And Jesus has no patience with that in his own life, so I, I don't think he delights in us acting that way now. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but the value of religious community. I mean, I do write books about that. So I'm in this kind of weird spot as a, as a, if you want to say, a public theologian, um, because a lot of times the people who are arguing for the value of church are saying, um, you know, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's this beautiful, loving person, and if you don't join my church, you're going to burn in hell or whatever. You know, yeah. that's one. Or there's the people who say, you know, like how dare you presume anything all paths are equal, yada, 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 I see God in the sunset. And I'm kind of in the middle on this. I think um, maybe some people can can do that all by themselves, but if I do it all by myself, I'm inclined to be selfish or just to uphold my own most comfortable values. Yeah. It's good for me to have a tradition, for example, like the Christian church, where every Sunday I'm reminded that I have something to confess. And I'm asked to either read a prayer of confession or pray silently. And even if you begin that by thinking, oh, this is, this is so shaming and blaming, you know, by the time you've sat there in silence for a while, you've probably come up with a list of things that, you know, you could be forgiven for. Yeah, yeah if you're honest. <laughs> and that's a good, to me, that's an important ritual. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I don't look forward to it. 
if I invented my own religion and could do what I wanted, I probably would skip it. Yeah. But it's probably good for me to have to do it. A friend of mine who's a deep intellectual uh, Christian, and we've talked about this, he pointed out that when you really, this is more from the Jesus side where you're saved, that you know you can't be good enough, that whole theory that he died for your sins. You, you might have thought you were kind of a good person. You know, I, I believe in God. And then once you realize that you can't be good enough, you start saying, man, I sinned a lot more than I thought I did. Because you start recognizing that instead of judging your, the way you act on your own viewpoint. Because people have a tendency to saying, man, I, I did this, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Yeah. Or I, you know, I, I lust for women, but I, I'm not cheating. Mm-hmm. All these different, so you're, but when you believe that you can't be good enough, they're all pretty equal to me. I mean, murder obviously is worse, but in God's eyes, you know, and I think Jesus said this, you know, and I don't know which one it was, mm-hmm. that, you, you know, you just simply lust for a woman. That's just as bad as anything else, you know. Well, remember, he's saying that you got to go back in the context, right? So he's saying that in a context where, yes, people were patting themselves on the back and judging themselves superior to other less religious people. And so he bursts the bubble by saying something controversial, provocative, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Um, but he, <clears throat> it, so let's even go back to, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm really interested in this idea of the Jewishness of Jesus. I've studied a lot about that in the last few years. That's been my thing. Gone to Israel and studied with rabbis and learned how they study things. And it gives you so much insight into the message of Jesus for Christians when you understand that background. And so there was, in Judaism, a respect for that debate and also for saying things that were kind of over-the-top and provocative to make a point. So um, so when you take a verse like that, you know, um, I don't think that was Jesus's be-all, end-all sexual ethic, right? I think that was something he says in a moment to be provocative and to take us down a peg or two when we're mm-hmm. self-righteous. It's not so that then we can go out and say, oh, well, guess what? I didn't even lust after a woman, so now am I perfect? Like, we've missed the whole point. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's just sort of pointing out that Adam and Eve, if you literally believe in Adam and Eve, or people who are in heaven, won't have those kind of sins. I mean, yeah. so he's pointing out that, yeah, those still are sins. I think it's mm-hmm. a sin to constantly lust over someone else or... Well, envy to, someone else. Yeah, or... to objectify them or to be... I mean, basically, Jesus is constantly saying, get over your obsession with yourself and these things of the world. Mm-hmm. And get back focused on love and, and the moment, right, and God. So whether that's lusting after somebody or, you know, in Jesus' prohibition on divorce that gets a lot of play, you know. Um, one thing you have to realize is that in that culture, it was very easy to divorce somebody, if you were a Jewish man, you simply wrote a letter. Yeah. And that did it. And and women didn't have those same, um, that same power in the system. So when, when Jesus is speaking against divorce, right, it's not to, to shame some woman in 2019 for getting a divorce in Dubuque, right? He's, he's addressing a specific social concern and his, his response is surprising to the listeners. You know, they say, oh, I'm allowed to get a divorce. Like, this is okay. And he says, don't be self-righteous. You know, so that's what he's consistently saying. Yeah. For, for us to then take a statement like that and make a new self-righteous rule out of it, 
I think Jesus is like rolling his eyes. Yeah. I, I think there are some that are pretty obvious. I mean, I, I'm, I've never been a Bible literalist. And I, I understand, obviously, some of the parables and some of the things. It just ma- reminds me of the one he said, too, about before you judge someone else, take the, the big spike mm-hmm. out of your eye or the splinter and all that yeah. sort of thing. You know, So I think, I mean, he was perfect. I, b- I believe he was perfect. I don't know um, if there are some other books that hint that he wasn't, but... It's a, it's definitely, and that's why even more contemporary people say, what would Jesus do? I mean, it's sort of a thing like, let's, well, let's live up to him, yeah. or let's just live up to Gandhi, or live up to all these different people that, you know, really exuded thinking of the golden rule, and really tried to, I mean, I think Jesus was all about the golden rule. Yeah, and I would not compare Jesus to Gandhi. Okay. You know, I would say Gandhi is a, a complex individual, right, in history, um, who did amazing things, and also had some problems, right? Uh, I do think what's unique about Jesus and why people are fascinated is this idea that he is both divine and human. So there are ways in which you can see this perfection, but you also have cases where he loses his temper, where he's out and out rude or unkind to somebody. He he weeps. He weeps. He he despairs. He he seems to give up hope at points, right? And that's, I think, what's so beautiful about this whole religion is yeah. and, and it's very unique it's different you yeah. know he plays a different role and this idea that that god in god's perfection and power says okay i've tried to talk to you people over and over again you know i've come in a burning bush i've done this i've you know <laughs> i've given you waterfalls and hippopotamuses and you know like you're still not listening i'm going to come and experience life and the sorrow and the heartache you experience i'm going to die this horrible death um so that that we'll have a relationship. That's how much I love you. Yeah. That's very different from other religions. Mm-hmm. And that sense of immediacy there. And then this idea that we have of the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that the conversation doesn't end there. You have this Holy Spirit that is continually interacting with us and wanting to have a relationship with us and to have us live in beautiful, meaningful ways. That's the mystery that a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. Or Christians, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I know, it's... and I love, I love the Holy Spirit because you can't yeah. define it, you know. That's why in Scripture it's like it's a dove, it's a flame, it's the wind, it's, yeah. is it your conscience, you know. It's inexplicable. It's like heaven. Yeah. You can believe in it, but I'm really suspicious of anybody who can draw you blueprint. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it seems to me that if you have, if God's in your heart and Jesus is in your heart, you're going to notice some of that stuff because you're open to listening. When in my Bible study, we there was a chapter, one of us video we saw about God's whispers. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase or where you, you obviously it's not literally you can hear it, but it's like, man, I just feel this urge to do something. I feel like, and it's probably the Holy Spirit. Maybe right, especially if it's counter to your own self-interest. Yeah. You know, so or it's a little bit risky, but it, you know, yeah. in the long run, it's like I think this will be hard, but I just think this God wants me to do this. Yeah, when you feel, or when you feel like a sense of courage to do something difficult, whatever that may be, and you say, I don't know how I got through that, that loss, that struggle, but it felt like there was some power greater than myself. Yeah, you yeah. know, doing that. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I, I. 
I'm having trouble with some of the people I talk to, and I feel bad for them. You know, I'm not going to judge them, or I, I, but as a Christian, I feel bad that they'll go through some of these struggles and they have no God at all. And I also admire them. I go, I don't know how mm-hmm. you are able to do it. You're a very strong person, and you're able to, and millions of people go th- get over these things all the time that, who don't believe. And well, so much of this too has to do with personal history. Yep. So, you know, for the person who is an atheist today, maybe they were raised in a really punishing version of whatever religion. And so for them, having no God is actually more comforting than having a vengeful, scorekeeping God that yep. maybe they were taught about as a child. And I think you have to be respectful of that. Yeah. I can, I can still say, you know, you could find a religious community where you might not get hammered with that, but I also respect their experience and that God is big enough to work through all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe God's everywhere, and I think God's at the at the atheist group. And, um, you know, I think Christians really alienate people when we say things like, oh, you should come to my church because it's full of nice people. You know, as if the yoga class is full of <laughs> sociopaths and axe murderers, you know. Like... And and also, by the way, the church is not full of nice people. You know, it's full of human beings who yeah. will disappoint you. I mean, that's why we have the prayer of confession. But somehow along the way, Christians get associated with thinking they're a club of saints and saying, you ought to come to church so you can get a gold star like me. Yeah. Whereas really, if you go to pretty much most <coughs> churches, I think, um, you'll find people who are wrestling with their own brokenness. They're, they're generally not there thinking they're better than everyone else. Yeah. There's a few of them who do, and they tend to get the airtime. But generally, people in religious community are, are looking inward and outward and mm-hmm. saying, how could, how could this be better? And I think a lot of them who say, come to my church because they're nice people, are, are well-meaning, wouldn't yeah. you say? They, they come from a little bit of a traditional thing, and they just honestly think that I feel like I'm one of the disciples, or I feel like Paul, who was out there preaching and saying there is a way, or, or John the Baptist. All these, there's a there is a history in the Bible that you should go out and try to um, convert people. The the question is, how do you do it? And uh, convert them to what? That's my question. Convert to what them end, to right to like I don't think I don't think. Jesus died on the cross so that we could convert people to come hang out with nice people on a Sunday morning. No, just to believe in him. You know, believe but, that he died for your sins. Or to, or see, I would press back and say I don't think it's all about the intellectual ascent, right? That's but in it your was soul. The, that... It's a way of living, right? You're transformed somehow. Sure. Yep. And there, um, and that's what you invite people into. But I think a lot of times when all people can tell you about their church is that it's got a good choir you know, these utilitarian things, right? Like, so if I want to, and my church has five choirs, and they're awesome. I think they're the best choirs ever. But you can join choirs at many of the universities in town. You can, there's other ways to sing, right? Mm -hmm. There's other places with nice people on a Sunday morning. Um, We have to be able to say more than that. And I think the tradition piece is one piece of it, but I think also a lot of our churches and church members can't talk about the God thing. So it does sound a little bit like they're making an argument for a club or mm-hmm. a good gym, right? And I think, you know, this is harder for people to talk about, but if we can't talk about it, we have no business inviting people to church, is to say, 
you know, when we do this thing called prayer, something changes for me or something happens or I can't explain why, but um, there are times where I don't believe any of the miracles, but I can sing the old <coughs> hymns and, and somehow I feel a sense of peace. You know, these are things that are God's purview and we get just the tip of the iceberg of it. But to be able to say, I experience the holy in community, in worshiping something other than myself, we got to be able to talk about that. Mm -hmm. If all we can say is that the people are nice and we have a good choir, that's not going to work. Yeah. Well, I think um, some of the churches I've went to that are a little bit more charismatic, you know, they're, it's almost... Speaking in tongues type thing? That's I haven't gotten that, that far. Okay. Um, you know, I guess more, they got the electric guitars up there and they're really doing the music like that and it's just, yeah. you know... What would be that's uh, just a worship style with the PowerPoint style. presentation and the but, pastor in the Hawaiian shirt or the little glasses yep, yep. and the band and the and they're they're yeah. pushing Jesus is and I I just think the whole God thing evolves around Jesus I just mm -hmm. really think that's important but I've told every other interviewer and if you've listened to any of my podcast I say if everybody from the history of the earth is in heaven I'll be happy right. But I don't think I'm a real, true Christian if I don't say, Jesus is the way. And, and you, can, you can say it's just in John, or you can say it, it's in me. It's not intellectual mm -hmm. at all. It's, so that it, is, I think, what the early followers of Jesus was talking about. So, so, when they, so first, like even the translation of the Bible, like the word belief, it's, in the way it's used in scripture, it's not an intellectual thing. It's more what you're talking about. It's like a way of being. Uh, uh, and that's what they talk about themselves. They said they followed the way. So yeah. if you think of like the image of following or walking or living as opposed to this is what I think about this question, those are very different. And, um, and that's what I think we're seeking in worship. Like worship is supposed to be sort of practice for everything else so that you've gotten yourself somehow in tune with the way or mm -hmm. that divine love that light and then you get out there and somebody gives you the finger on route 20 and you and you hopefully have a little of that light inside you yeah. and you're not going to do it back or try and run them off the road like, no i'm not gonna <laughs> right right you know this is but it's like it is connected it's not separate it's not like yeah. worship is this thing but it's meant to infuse us with more of the good mm -hmm. than we would have otherwise. Yeah. Recently, while I was helping out at a church-related Feeding the Poor uh, night, a woman approached me about this bold-time religion series. She'd listened to it. And as we talked, she used a very low voice so that others around us couldn't hear, as if she would be arrested or something she was really afraid. Mm -hmm. And she said, I just believe in the traditional marriage that God created man and woman to be married and procreate the human race. Does that make me homophobic? Should progressive Christians try to understand people like her as much as they are asking conservative Christians to be accepting of them? Is there mm -hmm. a place for people like her in churches? There's a place for everybody, right? And so, you know, I know what I feel about gay marriage. And mm -hmm. um, So let me back up a little. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not a huge fan of churches having big conventions and resolutions and voting on every social issue of the day. I think um, we have a 
we have a need to reflect on things like weddings because we perform weddings. Yeah. So like that is our business, right? And we can choose who we're going to marry and who we're not going to marry. And um, and I really do believe in my heart that if Jesus were here today, he would be welcoming the queer community, the gay community, the trans community. Like I just can't can't see that being different, mm-hmm. right? And so um, so you know so. I'm going to take that welcoming stance, and since the church is in the business of doing weddings, I think we should do them for everybody, right? Um, but, but I recognize that there's majority of the Christian church does not agree with me on that, or I think actually a lot more of them do agree, but they're kind of undercover. So like that woman who came to you and said, oh, I'm kind of in the closet about not being for gay marriage, I think we have a lot of people in the closet who are... Um, not in favor of that exclusive stance of the church mm-hmm. and don't get it. So, you know, there's room for everybody there. What I despair over is the lack of conversation and the lack of civility that's going on in the country right now. And yeah. it's particularly driven in the political life of the country. But for me, my hope at, is at the local level. That's where I see signs of hope. That's where I see real people who change their minds on issues. I've changed my mind on issues. You're going to change yours. I mean, that's that's the way life should be. I want to thank Pastor Lily and Daniel for a wonderful discussion during my ninth episode of Old Time Religion. To find more of our podcasts, go to www.telegraphherald.com slash podcast or search Telegraph Herald in Apple Podcasts.